0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected, or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Hey, if you guys have a Bible, I was gonna say this is my normal like thing is when I get up to preach, I say, if you have your Bible, open up to... But we're going to be all over the place this morning. So that might be more frustrating than anything. Um, But we'll we'll hang out. uh, The longest section we'll read a little later is in Psalm 139. If you like to look things up, I'll have all the scripture on the screen this morning. But if that makes you feel safe, you're like, I know a little bit about where we're going. You can go there. Um, But we're going to be going all over the place. I'm excited about this morning. We're starting a new series that we're going to do through the month of February called More Than What You Think more than what you think. And I, I wanna frame like the idea of what we're gonna do with this series by, is this like a spit zone? I'm wearing a mask, so there shouldn't be. I, just, I noticed when I was leading worship at our Mawa campus a few weeks ago, Rob, there's like a spit zone. Like no one sits in the first two rows or the two front rows on the side. And it's like every single service, it's the exact same thing. It's hilarious. Um, so so I, I wanna frame this new series that, <coughs> that we're doing uh this way so you understand what what we're going to be doing here how many of you love to read you love to read you have like a favorite book how many of you have had one of your favorite books turned into a movie how many of you loved how that movie turned out one person (laughs) one person how many of you were so excited they're doing this but you were also cautiously like they're going to destroy my favorite book I know it's coming you know you know what I'm talking about and then you go see the movie, and they just totally lost something in translation. It just didn't work, right? You know what I'm talking about? That happens all the time. I think the Dune, I just read Dune for the first time because the movie was coming out. I haven't seen the movie yet. The book was amazing. I'm a little worried about, like, watching, watching the movie now because I'm, I'm like, this is, don't do it. Okay. I'm not, don't do it. Everyone's warning me. I'm like, this is really, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. It's done. I'm just going to be satisfied, and I'm going to imagine that the movie was perfect. But when this happens, you guys know what I'm talking about. Something gets lost in translation. You're like, wait, that character didn't do that. Or like, they, they had, they didn't, that was, hold on. Like, they ruined everything. He didn't say that line. She didn't do that. Like, that happens all the time. Something gets lost in translation. I, I think that lost in translation thing really happens a lot when it comes to languages. Does anyone know more than one language? Anyone? Anyone speak more than one language? Yeah? you know that there's not like a word-for-word correlation, right? You're like, oh, how do I say that? Like, you can't just literally move one thing to the other, right? Because you can have some really uh, embarrassing things happen, right? So I I read this article, and and there was this hilarious list of um, marketing mistakes that these big corporations made when they were trying to market their product from, say, English or German to, say, Spanish or Chinese or something like that. There was this old uh, airline. Anyone ever heard of Braniff International Airlines? Old school. They don't don't even exist anymore. Uh, But they decided back in the day, they they wanted to start marketing in Spain their their luxury leather seats in their airline. And and so they wanted to market to a Spanish customer. And, And their slogan in English was fly in leather. And it was this really fancy thing. So what they did is they just translated it literally, en cuero, which actually means fly naked. So that didn't work too well. Mercedes-Benz, their name for a long time in China was Bensi, until they realized that Bensi in Chinese meant rush to die. So not a good name for a car company. Didn't translate very well. Uh, Pepsi also was trying to market their products in China. And and how many remember the Pepsi brings you back to life phrase, right? So that didn't work out too well either. What they were saying was, Pepsi brings your ancestors back to life. That's kind of funny, because it was in China, like, because that's a big part of their culture is their ancestors. Uh, The the Parker Pen Company, anyone familiar with the Parker Pen Company, right? Fountain pens, it was a big deal. The Parker Pen, uh, it, it won't leak in your pocket and embarrass you, was their slogan. It was a big deal, a fountain pen wasn't gonna leak and embarrass you. So wait, they tried to, to start marketing their pen in Mexico, and in Spanish, all these Mexican people were reading Parker pens. It won't leak in your pocket and make you pregnant. <laughs> Crazy. Th- this one's my favorite, though. This one's my favorite. Coors, the beer company, they, they tried to use they, – they had a slang phrase, turn it loose, right? And, and they were trying to translate that into English, or excuse me, into Spanish for a Spanish market. And what they got was, "cores suffer from diarrhea. <laughs> you lose a lot in translation from one language to the next. And, and the same thing actually happens when we read the Bible. We lose so much in translation. I, I don't think this is a flash for anyone, but how many of you know the Bible was not originally written in English? Yes, few of you know that. The Bible's really old, and it wasn't primarily written in English. So when we read it, we're reading translators, really, really smart people that know the original languages super well. We're reading their best effort to give us something. And this isn't like a secret. It's in the front of like most translations. It'll tell you, here's our translation philosophy. Here's what we decided to do. So you have some translations or what they call, here's a little nerd out moment for you because you guys know I like to be a nerd. Uh, They they have what's called uh, literal translations, right? So they try and like word for word as close to what the original Hebrew or Greek was, what's the closest English word we can use for that? And we'll just literally put it in. And then they do what uh, we usually read from is what's called the the New Life Translation. Uh, And that's more what they call a dynamic equivalent. So like we're not gonna go translate word for word, but we're gonna kind of do our best to get at the original sense of what they meant and do it in a way in English that will impact readers the most. Does that make sense? That's why when you read different translations, you're like, oh, why does yours not match what mine says? Because we're all trying to do this thing that gets lost in translation with different words. So we have three different languages that the Bible use, used used and, and was written in. One was ancient Hebrew, very different than the Hebrew, modern Hebrew that's spoken today. Uh, ancient Aramaic, another dead language, and then what's called Koine Greek, which is an ancient version of Greek, very different than what they speak in Greece today. So one of the challenges, like I mentioned to to translators, is trying to not lose stuff in translation when they go from... Greek into Spanish or Greek into English or Greek into Arabic or Hebrew into German or whatever they're trying to do. And and there's many, this is why uh, the original, some of you might not like this, but the original King James Bible is not actually a great translation to use. That's why they made the new King James. Uh, The new King James translates directly into English from Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. What the original King James Bible did in the 1600s is they didn't have, see I'm really going hard nerd on you right now. They didn't have a lot of the original Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic manuscripts that have been found and are authenticated. So what they did is they translated the Bible from Latin into English. So it's like playing a game of telephone. So things get like twice removed. And so it's like a little even more murky. Things get lost in translation. But whenever any of us are reading the Bible and we're reading it in English, um, there's things that we miss when we just read through it. You can get so much out of it, but until you dive deep into some of the words, you don't realize that there's way more there than what you think. So what we're going to do for the next four Sundays is is we've taken four key words, some of them from the Hebrew language, some of them from the Greek, and and we're going to walk through these words and just kind of do a little bit of a word study each week because we want to unpack some of the significance that we often miss when we read these common words throughout the Bible. Sound like fun? And and hopefully along the way, here's our goal and our hope with this, is that these passages of Scripture, when you read them in English, you're going to have these words jump out at you with, with color and nuance and depth that you didn't previously realize was there. And it might help you understand what was being said in any given passage at any given time, in a fresh way that is transformative to your discipleship to Jesus. So that's our ultimate goal. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into our first word. You guys ready? Here we go. Father, we thank you that your spirit has breathed on this book that we call the Bible, that that you have guided its writing, that you have uh, influenced and, and inspired the words that we read today and we trust that what we read in this is the words that you wanted us to hear. And so we ask today, Lord, that as we unpack this, your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to each of us in a way, in a fresh transformative way that we have not previously realized was sitting right there in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So all my, like, nerdy Bible scholar people this morning are going to be like, this next four weeks is going to be amazing. And every, yeah, we got some of the nerds going. Just, hey, if you're a nerd, just own it, okay? Just own it. Just own it. Come join me. Um, but if you're not, this is still going to be worthwhile to you, all right? Here we go. So the first word that uh, we're going to talk about today is, is this Hebrew word, yada. Can you all say yada? Sometimes it's yada, sometimes it's yada. And it means, in English, literally, to know or knowing. Now, that's how you usually see it in the Bible. That's not always how it gets translated in your Bible, depending on the translation version that you're reading, right? So we want to just look at a few examples of how this is used, just to kind of give you an idea of what this word is. By the way, when people say yada, 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 I know, I know, I know, that's where this comes from the more you know. Ha, ha, ha. So just a few passages here to give you an idea. I just kind of highlighted the word in red that is the the English stand-in for yada or yada. Genesis 3, 7. So this is a moment when uh, Adam and Eve, they just disobeyed God. They ate the fruit. And it says, at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt yada, Shame at their nakedness. So I want you to see something right off the bat. This yada word doesn't just mean I know information. There's something about this word that is experiential. They suddenly felt shame. They experienced shame. They they had some kind of personal interaction with shame. And that's that's just going to help us understand this word yada, to know. Another one just uh, shortly after that, in the next chapter, Genesis 4, 1. It says, now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. It's the same word. Now Adam, Yadad, his wife Eve. You'll actually see in some translations, it'll actually say Adam knew Eve, and she became pregnant. So this is a very intimate relational word. Very weird, right? This isn't how we talk about, I know, I know. This is not how we think about that word, but it's the same word in Hebrew. It has a a relational component to it. Moving up to Exodus chapter 18, verse 11, uh, Moses had a a father-in-law, Jethro. And when uh, Moses uh, went back to Egypt to free uh, his people, he he left his wife and his kids with his father-in-law. So this is after the people had been freed uh, Jethro, his father-in-law, was like, hey, why don't you leave them with me? Because I don't think you're coming back. Uh, and, and he witnesses all of the Israelite people are now free. And, and he says, I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods. Because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. It wasn't just that he, he understood, oh yeah, God's greater. He saw the physical, tangible testimony of God being greater than the gods of Egypt and freeing his people. Another example of this, we saw and we know the goodness of the Father through John's testimony of healing this morning. We know it and we are witness to it. It's a similar way that this is used here. In Job 37.7, he's talking to his friends. And this is just kind of in the course of their conversation. He, He refers to people stopping their work so they can watch God's power. And it's the same word, yada. So they can yada his power. They can yada his power. They can see and witness, know, experience his power. They stop what they're doing and pay attention and focus because they are about to know in a deep experiential sense, God's power. A couple more real quick. Proverbs 2.10. It says, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge, yada, will fill you with joy. Kind of similar to the first one. Knowledge is not just meant to do something here to give you more information. Knowledge, yada, actually can fill you with a sense of joy. There's something experiential about what you now know, have experienced, understand, that can lead to an emotional reaction. So there's a lot in this little word, right? One final one, Isaiah. Twelve five. I love this one. Sing to the Lord, for he has done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. Look at that. Pay attention to this one. This is really interesting. So yada, his praise around the world. In your singing, in your worship, we are doing something that allows people to experience the greatness of God. So when you praise and when you worship, There's something that you're doing that is leading to someone else's experience of God. Isn't that pretty cool? Every time you worship, every time you pray, you're making known, you are yadahing his praise around the world. So there's a lot of different ideas. You can see there's some experiential things going on. There is a a sense of not just information. Uh, We would say yada is not just an informational word. It is relational and experiential. You all with me? Okay. You're like, great. What does this matter? How many of you know what this is? What is it? If you know, you know. Anyone ever post this on their on their Instagram? See, all, all the kids post this on their Instagram, I feel like. That's, that's so I, I was like, I, I always try and think, I'm like, it's an I and then a Y. And then I can never, like, get it right in my head. I had to, like, check this three times to make sure I put the slide up here correctly. If you know, you know. Has anyone ever heard that phrase? I, I feel like I, I see people post this a lot on their social media. Like, maybe they're, they're, they're having their favorite meal. And you'll just see that, like, kind of hashtag in the corner. If you know, you know. Or, or you're at your favorite beach or your favorite spot out on the lake. If you know, you know. You just, like, post that, and, like, you don't explain it. I'm not going to say anything. But if you've experienced this place, you know what I'm talking about. You see, that's a similar way that we would use the word knowing. That's very similar to yada. My, my favorite, I have a favorite restaurant in, in uh, Chelsea, in, in Manhattan, called Barbudo. And, and, man, let me tell you, if you know about that chicken, then you know. But, but I can't tell you about the chicken. I can give you information about the chicken. I can tell you they, they have crafted this oven specifically for slow roasting these chickens. I, I can tell you about how it looks when it comes. It's amazing, Nicole, I'm telling you. She's looking it up right now. This is awesome. Like, it's, it's great. Uh, B-A-R-B-U-T-O. It's named after his, his dog. Uh, anyway, yeah, everyone's going to go check it out. But I'm giving you information about Barbudo, but you don't know Barbudo. I could tell you about the kale salad. I could tell you the ingredients. I have the cookbook at home. I could show you the page in the cookbook. But until you eat the kale salad, you don't know. You haven't experienced Barbudo yet. Think about it for yourself. What's your favorite meal, your favorite cult classic movie, your favorite book, your favorite spot like to just hang and relax? Maybe it's your backyard. Maybe it's the fire pit, whatever it is. If you know, you know but I, but I can't explain it to you you got to experience it in other words the way the biblical authors in the old testament would have put it if yada you die, yada you die. that's right yeah so it's it's really popular and so if you don't know then I just can't explain it to you you got to go experience it for yourself and and so this is often how yada gets used when you see the word no in english uh or or if you start like doing a little bit of deep dive to see like where are all the instances of this in the old testament because this word's going to be in the old testament and where all the different instances of this you can actually do a deep dive and you can find all the places you've been lied to your whole life i'm just joking translators do the best job they can it just doesn't make sense to always translate it as no Right? We'd be very confused. But when you begin to see all the places that this pops up, you're like, oh, there's way more here than I thought. Because they're not just telling me, hey, you need to know God, as in I need to have information about God. They're telling you to yada God. I could tell you about God, but like, if you know, you know. So that's what this word is all about. So here's what I want to do. I just wanna take a few minutes and and I wanna explore through the book of Psalms a few ways that this word gets used. Specifically, I wanna just look at it in two ways. I wanna look at our relationship with God, how the Psalmists describe this yada thing from us to God. And then I wanna look at how they describe God's relationship with us how do we know yada God and how does God yada us? Just so you can begin to see how significant this word is throughout the Bible. Sound good? So let's walk through some of these. Let's start with our relationship with God. How many of you know, and we, you, you have said this and maybe you've thought this or you've put this into practice in your life, you can't just know things about God. We have to know God. We have to yada God. Right? It's about this relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about closeness. It's about vulnerability. It's about really uh, connecting with and experiencing God, not just having information about God. One of my favorite verses in Psalms, Psalm 4610, says this, be still And know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. How many of you have like so much time to just be still? Some of us do, depending on our season of life. Others of us have small little things called children. And it just is like, how do I find time to be still? It might be like two minutes, and that might, might be your max. But, but the psalmist and in the, in the Bible calls us to be still in order to yada God, in order to experience God. Here's what this means for us we cannot find God in our hurriedness and our busyness and our overpacked schedule. We cannot experience God and know Him through doing and through trying to fit more in, and by saying like, well, like, I got all this going on, but I guess I got to be active in my church, so we throw even more into the mix. What we are required to do, and what the psalmist says, is to be still and know that I am God. It is through stillness, through solitude, through silence, through practicing that being present with God that we begin to yada. We cannot know God truly unless we take time to be still. And that looks like prayer, like I said, silence, solitude, worship. Being in a space where we can truly yada God. It's One of the most challenging things, I think, about the time which we live, the culture we live in, is there is a constant pull on us to do more, to be more. I just read this morning something Eugene Peterson said. He He talked about how so often we pack our schedules so that we can look important he he said he made this great point he he said he, he said if i were to go to a doctor and the office the waiting room was empty and i just looked and i saw the doctor through in the office and he's just back there reading a book i probably would think he's not a very good doctor but why he's not busy So we we connect busyness to importance, we connect it to significance, we connect it to impact, and that's not always the case. And for us to know God, it's not necessarily connected to busyness, it's not connected to impact, it's not connected to uh, how many people want our time, it's connected to being still. So the psalmist says, if you want to yada, God, experience God, we must be still. Here's another psalm, Psalm 4:3. It says, "You can be sure, Yada, of this: The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call him." This is really important for us. How many of you have, have been through a tough time? How many of you been through a time where like, this is the hardest season of my life? How many of you have been in a season where you're you're just questioning whether God is even there? You can yada this. You can experience this. You can know that you know that you know this. You can have a sureness that is not just information. It is based on experience and relationship. You can be sure of this, that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, and the Lord will answer you when you call him. It's so easy to fall into the trap of, I'm on my own. I'm all alone. I'm never going. I'm trapped. It's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But there is such, think about how, how assure, assured we are by this word yada. You can be sure of this. You can be confident of this. You can experience this without any question. The Lord will answer. And I love the, the grammar of this. This is just such a little thing, but the grammar of the psalmist here. The Lord will answer when I call to him. I want you to just say, will you just say that out loud real quick? Say, the Lord will answer when I call to him. I want you to say that one more time because this is, this is huge. Because often our belief is just kind of a concept and we don't actually believe it. We don't know it. We don't yada it. And so we got to say these things out loud because our soul is kind of like, meh, whatever. So I want you to say this again. The Lord will answer when I call to him. One more time. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Not when your mother calls to him, not when your pastor calls him, not when your group leader calls him, not when your friend who prays really well calls him, when you call to him. You can yada this. You can be sure of this, that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And the Lord will answer when you call him. There is an experiential weightiness to this kind of knowledge. It's not like, well, in theory, God's supposed to answer me. Right? That's supposed to be how it works theologically. How many of you have those things in your life where you're like, in theory, God's supposed to come through. In theory, he's supposed to heal people, but I don't know if he's actually going to do this if I try and ask him. him." Let's be honest. We all have those things. And and I want you to understand what that is. That's the difference between following Jesus' disciple And being religious. And we have to get that. That that is so, if there is one prayer I pray for you as a church, it is that we leave behind the dead things of religion that have a lot of good theories about how God operates and move into your dying God. With what it says. You can be sure of this. The Lord will answer. There's just some things for God's relationship with us that are really significant when we start looking at this word, yadah. How experiential, how assured it is. It's concrete. It's real. It's happening. It has happened. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I can be sure of this. You can be sure of this. So before we move on to God's relationship with us and how he knows us, before we move on, I just want you to Make a mental note, put a note in your phone. If you've got paper, whatever you're journaling, if you need to write this by one of these scripture verses in your Bible, here's what I want you to do. What is the thing in my life that I have a theory about God answering, but I am not yet dying that God is going to answer? What is that thing in my life? I want you to write it down right now. What is that thing where you're saying, Yeah, I mean, he's supposed to answer when I talk to him about this really, really overwhelming situation in my life. But he's not actually going to do that, is he? Write it down. We're taking a minute right now. Write it down. I want you to come back to that this week. If you're in one of our life groups, I want you to tell your life group, someone in your life group, when you meet this week. I want you to talk and say, hey, here's, here's the thing that this is, this, I'm not really following Jesus in this. This is just like dead religion right now. I have a theory about God answering, but it's not real to me. And I need to kick this into the other thing where I begin to yada this. You got it? All right. That's. Are ye dying to God? Us knowing God. Let's talk about God's relationship with us. Let's talk about God knowing us. This is so encouraging. When you begin to unpack this Yada word, just a f- three three Psalm, uh, three portions of scripture here from the Psalms. Psalm seventy three eleven. This one, I love this. What does God know? What does God Yada? They ask. Does the Most High even yada what's happening? Think about it. So we've talked about us experiencing. Now we're talking about God experiencing, God knowing, God having relational information. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer like the psalmist did here? Does God even know what I'm going through? He doesn't know. He's God. Now, like, again, in our head, we're like, well, in theory, God knows. But sometimes you just kind of got a little bit of a gripe with God in your prayer, right? What does he know? He's up there somewhere on a big white shiny throne. Revelation says there's like a rainbow around it or something. I don't know. He's doing his own thing up there. I'm down here living in the real world. Does he even know? Does he even yada? You ever been there? We're not asking if God has information. We know, theory, okay, he knows everything. Does he care? Does he empathize? Does he have experience that connects him to me with some kind of compassion or mercy? Have you ever asked that? Does he even care? That's really what the psalmist is asking here. Is he experiencing this at all? Is he, is he grieved over this situation? Or is he just like, oh, yep, check, I... Got that piece of information, move on to the next person. What are they doing? I, and I love this, this. This next psalm is almost, it's not in order, but it, it's almost like a, different psalms are doing different things, but this next psalm is almost answering this. Psalm sixty-nine, nineteen. I love this. You, this is the psalmist talking directly to God. You know my shame, scorn, and disgrace. You see all that my enemies are doing. You yada my shame. Think about all the ways we've talked about this kind of knowing, experiencing, relational connection, like familiarity with. God knows your shame. God yadas the scorn you have endured, the disgrace, the embarrassments, the disappointments, the failures, the conflicts. He sees all that your enemies have been trying to do to you. He's very familiar with it. His heart breaks over it. Have you ever felt misunderstood and alone? Like, no, 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 people aren't getting my intentions. I'm trying to do the right thing and everyone just keeps thinking I'm a jerk here. What am I doing? I don't know what to do. God understands you. God yadas you. He knows you intimately, deeply. That is really good news, isn't it? Let's look at more about how God yadas us, knows us. Psalm 139. I'm going to read, Few, a few verses of this. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and yada everything about me. Just let that sink in for a minute. Yada everything about me, not just some things, not just the things I do in church, not just the things that are bad. You yada everything about me. You yada when I sit down or stand up, you yada my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home, you yada everything I do. You yada when I am going to what I'm going to say before I even say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me, you place your hand of blessing on me. Such yada is too wonderful. For me, too great for me to understand. It can be really easy to read this and kind of start humming "Santa Claus is coming to town" in your head. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows if you've been bad or good. See, Santa is like informational knowing. He's checking the list: good, bad, got it. See, that's not what God does, though. That's not what Yadah is. He doesn't just have information on whether you've done a good job or not, whether you did what he said or not. He's aware of those things, but he knows what you're going to say even before you say it. He understands your motives, he understands your motives better than you do. He's not making a list and checking it twice. He deeply is connected to the life and experience you are living because he yadas everything about you. Everything. Think about that. Just say everything. Everything. No, not just some of those things. Everything. He knows everything about your life, about your history, about your motives, about your heart, even the hidden things that you don't even uh, even know about. Now, this isn't to say God's watching you. Be careful. It's to remind you that he is with you in the midst of every moment. He is intimately familiar with every step you take, every move you make. I'll be watching you. But here, we hear these words, and it gets that Santa Claus thing in our head, like he's out to get you. Be careful what you do. He sees everything you're doing. But we need to see that that's not where this goes. He says, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. How many of you want someone that knows you so well, better than you know yourself? How many of you want that kind of person to bless you? That would probably be the truest, most significant blessing you'd ever experience in your life. Blessing's a whole other word that we don't have time to dive into in this series that means so much more than we, we realize. But there's fullness of life when God blesses you, the one who yada's you more than anyone else. He wants you to yada him like he yada's you. That's his invitation to you this morning. Now, this is yudah in Hebrew. The word that gets used in Greek to describe a similar experience, and don't worry, I'm only sharing one verse with this. The word that gets used in Greek is Gnosko to describe a similar thing. And I love this. John chapter 1, Jesus begins calling his disciples. And this guy Nathaniel shows up. He's pretty religious guy follows the commandments and the law really well he's not sure about this jesus guy yet he's kind of on the fringes pretty good person lives a moral upright life and jesus says yeah i saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree and that's where nathaniel was when when philip went he's like hey you got to come meet this guy jesus jesus wasn't there And, and Nathaniel's shocked, and he says, how do you know me? How do you know about me? Because Jesus said some other things about who he was, about his character, about his morality, about just the way he sought to live the best life he could. And now here, even as good as he lived his life, he met someone who knew him. How do you could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Before Philip even found you. Jesus has known you and seen each of you longer than you have been alive. There is nothing you can share about your life that he isn't already aware of. He knows you better than you know yourself. Jesus is calling you today. I know you, will you come know me? I know you, I yada you, I gnosko you, will you yada me? We'll talk more about this next week, but it isn't Jesus and God who's hiding, it's us. Will you come yada Jesus? That's his invitation today. I'm going to ask the team to come up. We're going to close in in just a moment. But just before we go on, I want you to write another note down here, just like you did for the last one. What is the thing that you, maybe you think God might not know about that in my life. But what is the thing that you're like, oh, he knows about that? I want you to write that down. Yep. It's an invitation. You can take it or leave it. But to know God, I want, you to, I want to invite you to write this down. Because here's the thing. He knows you that well. He already knows. He's, there's no, he's not going to surprise him. But a lot of times what we're trying to do is is that first scripture that I shared with Adam and Eve, they knew shame. And what happens with with secrets in our lives, with hiddenness in our lives, is is we're like, no one can know me. This is too heavy, this is too dark. I am over, I I, I have yadod this shame and this darkness and this heaviness and this pain. That's all I've yadod. But what Jesus wants to do today is say, as much as that has been real for you, that experience of shame and pain and, and darkness, he's saying, your experience of me can be even greater than that shame. Your yada of me can be even greater. John, the apostle, writes in 1 John, we confess our sins we come into the light confess our sins we let everything out of hiding we become known he says he forgives us but it says we have fellowship with one another that's really interesting he didn't say we'll have fellowship with God we'll have fellowship with one another so when you because God already knows everything but when when you begin to bring these things into the light, the things that have defined your life, and you begin to let them be known, the real you becomes fully known. You bring things into the light, and Jesus becomes the thing that you know better than anything else. And what that does, there's something in that relationship where people around you get to know the real you with the brokenness, the cracks, the bumps and the bruises and guess what they get to do they get to love the real you with all of that going on and here's this profound thing that happens when you are known like that and people still lean in to love you with the love of Jesus you're like huh I don't know why I like was hiding about that for so long. You still love me? I still belong? I'm still accepted? I can be really known? I can be really understood? Absolutely. Jesus has known you before you even were alive. And now he's saying to you, do you want to know yourself?